If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to go ahead and open them to Ephesians 5 and you'll be ready when we get there to the text because today we're continuing our series on the happy family. And let me remind you that we use the word happy because in the scripture, there's one word that can be translated happy that also can be translated as blessed. And in week one, if you'll remember, we saw where blessed is the one who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. And what that tells us truly is happiness is only found as one walks in the Lord. Now, last week we looked at singleness and how singleness can be a blessing. And today we move to a realm where I'm a little more experienced. We're moving today to the realm of marriage. For in a little less than two weeks, Kim and I will have been married for 33 years. That's a pretty good time, right? 33 years. So I've got a little experience, I think, in that. I can talk about this area. And what I've discovered is this, is that marriage can no doubt be one of the greatest blessings in life. But at the same time, it can also be one of the greatest challenges in life. Anyone that tells you that marriage is easy is not telling you the truth. Not not that there aren't marriages where things go well most of the time. In fact, that's where I put Kim and I's marriage. It's in that category where things go well most of the time. But even the best of marriages have challenges. Those who marry obviously marry with the goal of being happy or being blessed. Therefore, what we want to do today is consider what does a happy marriage looks like? And as with anything, if we want to see the truth and get honest direction on how to be blessed, we have to turn to God's Word. Therefore, as I said, I hope you turn to Ephesians 5 today, because within this chapter is what I have found to be one of the most helpful passages of Scripture when it comes to marriage. In my Bible, it's a title it has a, a title or a heading, Wives and Husbands. And yes, it's talking about husbands, and yes, it's talking about wives, but this is a Scripture that really speaks about marriage. Therefore, what we're going to do today is look at this passage, and we're going to see what direction God's Word gives us for having a happy marriage. Now, first, let's do this. Let's read through the entire passage, and then we'll come back, and we're going to make some observations. Ephesians 5, we're going to start in verse 21, all right? So look at this. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, And is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, this passage is a passage that I personally walk through with the couples that I'm counseling for marriage. Because I believe if couples can understand fully what God is saying here in this passage, that it can radically transform lives and it can radically transform marriages. If you want advice on marriage, there's no better place to turn to than God, who's the creator of marriage. You know, if you want to know about a Tesla, you call Elon Musk, right? If you want to know about how to create a magnolia empire, you go and you talk to Chip and Joanna Gaines, right? 
That's what you do. Well, if you want to learn how to do marriage right, here's what you do. You look to God, all right? You look to him because he's the one that's created it. That's why we need to understand what God is showing us about marriage so that we indeed can be blessed. As we look at this passage, here's the first thing that really should just jump off the pages at us, that a happy marriage is Christ-centered, all right? If you look at this passage, Christ is mentioned throughout. In verse 21, it says, for Christ. In verse 22, as to the Lord. In verse 23, as Christ. Verse 24, to Christ. Verse 25, as Christ. Verse 29, as Christ. Verse 32, to Christ. All right, y'all get the picture? All right, it should be obvious to anyone who reads this passage that you cannot function as a married couple without having a clear understanding of Christ. For Jesus should be our example. He should be our motivation. Christ should be our strength. It is Jesus who allows us to have a happy marriage. And I boldly maintain this, that if Jesus is not at the center of your marriage, you're headed for trouble. But when Jesus is the center of your marriage, there is nothing, nothing that cannot be worked through or overcome. In fact, I've shared before Kim and I's story. Some of you have probably heard it before, but some of you, because you're new, have never heard it before. But Kim and I were high school sweethearts. Neither one of us ever dated anyone else if you take out the middle school walk in the hall to the lockers relationships, all right? If you put those out of the way, Kim and I never have dated anyone else. Started dating when I was a sophomore in high school. We looked like the perfect couple. We attended church together. We served at church together. We got married at 19, and we seemed like that perfect, godly couple. However, things were not always so good. As about two years into our marriage, we were at a point where I did not think we were going to make it. We were still active in church. Listen, we even knew how to walk in church with a smile as if everything was perfect. Y'all have never done that, right? It's just Kim and I that did that, all right? But we learned how to walk into church and smile, everything just seemed to be fine. But at home, we weren't even talking. We weren't even talking. I think it went on for probably about six months. We didn't even say a word to one another in our home, all right? Now, when we looked at that, how we got in that place, I don't really remember, all right? I don't really remember what the root cause was of being there, but I believe it's probably this. We were playing games with God. Again, we might have looked apart at church, but Christ was not at the center of our relationship. In fact, if I'm going to be truthful, I was probably making me the center of our marriage. I'll just be honest. That's where it was. But God stepped in, and God did some great things. Kim went on a mission trip and realized while on missions to share the Lord that she had never really given her life to Christ. And about that same time, I was coming to the realization that I had never really followed Christ in believer's baptism. I hadn't been obedient to him with the smallest things of my life, so there's no way I could be obedient to him in my marriage. But as we both confessed our needs and individually put Jesus at the center of our marriage and things began to radically change in our home, so radical, here's what I'm going to say, all right? So radical, I would say for the last 31 years of our marriage, we've been on an upward trend, all right? That's pretty good, right? It's a pretty good run. Now, there's been ups and downs in that. There's been some rough spots. There's been some bumps along the way. But, But what I know is God has even used the hardest times in our life to take us to a better place because of this, because he is at the center of our marriage, all right? It is no coincidence that Christ is all over this passage because there is no way you can have a truly happy marriage apart from Jesus Christ. He is the one that makes true love even possible. I'm reminded of the passage that says in 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. 
How do you want to even know what love is? You look to Jesus and you look to the sacrifice he made. We know what love is, again, by looking to him because the only way that true love is possible in marriage and consequently the only way to have a happy marriage is when Christ is at the center. That is where happy marriage starts, putting Christ at the center. Now, when Jesus is at the center, you then need to understand that a happy marriage is marked by mutual submission. All right, when this text is used to speak to couples, a grave mistake is typically made. Here's what happens. This passage, people typically, when they want to go through this, they start at verse 22, and they forget that what is said in verses 22 through 33 is part of a larger lesson by Paul. In fact, if you were to look at the first few verses of this chapter, Paul says this. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. In other words, from the very beginning, Paul is challenging every believer to let Jesus be the driving force of his or her life. This is a place where I can say married or single, the challenge is the same. Let Jesus drive your life. Be an imitator of God and walk in love. A little later, Paul follows this up by saying, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. In other words, don't waste one moment of your life going in the wrong direction. Walk wisely now. Some this morning may be in a marriage that needs to change. The question I would have for you today is why wait to change it? Get things right now. If you are single and things are going in a bad direction in your life, change them now. We are called to walk wisely. These challenges by Paul are important to every believer. And again, they precede what we read beginning in verse 22. We need to understand this greater call before we get to verse 22. Why would husbands and wife do what Paul says in verses 22 through 33? Because they are the wise thing to do and because they are how you walk in the love of Christ as a married couple. All right, because again, I mentioned, we, we forget that. We forget to put it in context. In fact, we forget before reading verses 22 and, 20 and 33 to read verses 21 that says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, we're going to get to verse 22 that talks about submission in a moment, which everyone focuses on, whether viewed positively or negatively. But we forget to read verse 21 that tells every believer that we are to submit to one another. Right? Are we not? We forget that, all right? We forget to look at that, all right? But we are called as Christians, all right, that we're to submit to one another. As a believer, hear me, we don't bully to get our way. Right? We don't think that our way is best. We don't pout when we don't get our way. Why? Because we are, to submit to one, uh, we are to submit to others, not fight to be first. We are to think about the good of others before our own. You know, when we bring that into the context of marriage, we must realize that God's great call to couples is mutual submission. They are called to submit to one another. Put bluntly, here, you ready? We are to think about our spouse as more important than ourselves, all right? And we are to look first to our spouse for direction. Here's what I tell couples, that one of the greatest mistakes married people make is always looking to their spouse to meet their needs. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, your spouse can never meet all your needs. Only Jesus can do that, right? But we look to our spouse to meet our needs. For example, after coming home from a day of work or whatever the day has brought, one often comes in asking the question in their mind, what is my spouse going to do for me today? 
right? That's what we think. It may be subconscious, but we ask that question, right? It could be something is thinking like, well, you know, um, supper's going to be ready to eat when I get home, or my spouse is going to allow me to just sit and relax and enjoy the evening, or or maybe there's this expectation that the night's going to be filled with romance, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all have had that before, right? But often the expectation is there one way or another that their spouse is going to meet their needs. Now, in reality, here's what happens. You get home and supper's not fixed. Not only that, we have no idea what we're really having for supper tonight, right? right you, you, don't get to, you don't get to relax and have that relaxing evening that you spend. In fact, here's what there is. There's a long honeydew list that needs to be done today, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And romance? No, not on the table because it's been too long and hard of a day. Therefore, what is the experience? Not needs being met, but instead disappointment. Disappointment that leads to frustration that can often lead to many adverse things, right? I'm not wrong, am I? I'm not wrong? I'm not wrong. No, listen, I've been married 33 years. I know how this goes, okay? I'm not wrong. That, that, That has happened. And here's what can change. Here's what can change the whole tone of a home. When instead of a spouse having the expectation that the other spouse will meet all his or her needs, it is better to have the attitude of, what can I do to meet my spouse's needs? That should be our attitude. In other words, how do I submit to my spouse and take care of his or her needs? You know what happens when that is the attitude? You want to know what happens? First of all, there's less disappointment. Because when spouses are working to meet the needs of their spouse, guess what you discover? First, there's less frustration, and second, more needs are met. Right? It's true, all right? So am I clear? I mean, marriage is much happier when both spouses are seeking not to have needs met, but to meet needs. That is the epitome of mutual submission. If either spouse forgets this in marriage, a marriage can easily become one-sided and therefore unfulfilling. And so truthfully, a happy marriage is marked by mutual submission. Now, even though there's mutual submission, we need to understand, though, that a happy marriage is two people but one flesh. That's what the Scripture says later. The two become one. We do have to be careful because even though there is mutual submission in marriage, it doesn't mean that spouses are the same. There are differences between male and female. Y'all know that, right? There are differences. With, what, with that becomes a measure of uniqueness that, that has to be considered. As I think even about the differences here, this is a place where I'm reminded that marriage is God's idea. Folks, if God didn't intend for there to be marriage, then he would not have made different genders. We would be genderless. However, that's not what God did. God made genders, thus God made differences. Therefore, when we have marriages, we have to know there will be differences. There are two people. And as we recognize this, we can move into the verses that are most familiar to people. For some, these verses are abused. For others, they are ignored. But they are God's truth that needs to be heard and followed correctly. The first ones are the ones that have become controversial in our day. So let me read them again, verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, I want to first point out, if you've never had it pointed out before, that these verses are directed to the wives. All right, hear me closely. These are directed to the wives. That means husbands. These are not verses for you to read and enforce. Where's all the women saying amen to that one, right? 
Unfortunately, these verses have been misused and caused some husbands to, in essence, be abusive to their wives or at least overbearing to their wives, demanding their submission. Men, if you use these verses in that way, I'm going to tell you, you are wrong. These are not directed to you, and they are not meant for you to use as a weapon against your wives. These verses are meant for wives to hear and to follow what God's word is saying is right. And so let's look at them. Wives, you should know that, that, what submission, that submission is something here that you are called to choose. But remember the previous verses, verse 21, there's mutual submission, all right? We know that happens, but in a marriage context, you are called in this text to submit, all right? In a marriage context, the wife is called to submit to the husband's leadership in the home. Now, note this. First of all, this is a military term. It's used to speak about rank. Therefore, note that, this, that, that, that it should be your choice, as I said, to come under the leadership of your husband. And since this says, as to the Lord and talks about Christ being the head of the church, you tell me this question, all right? When you hear us saying in the church that we need to submit to the leadership of the Lord, is that a good or a bad thing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely great. Yeah, great, it is a great thing. When we come and say we're submitting to the leadership of the Lord, we understand that it, that is a good thing. Why? Because this is what we know, all right? Because God wants the best for us, and so we're submitting to His leadership. And so if a home is running right, as we will see, the same will be true of a wife's submission to her husband. And if you ask why this submission should be done, I will say this. First of all, everything, everyone, everything in life needs order, does it not? I mean, at work, at work, there has to be a boss who directs the work that needs to be done. Yes? In the sporting world, there has to be a coach to give direction to the team, Right? In the music world, you need one director of the band so that everyone's on the same beat and the same piece of music, right? How, how would we like it if up here on a sunny morning, all the, everyone was trying to, to, to be the leader, right? Be chaos, would it not? All right, there has to be one leading. Everyone needs a leader, and a home is no different. Therefore, on a practical level, someone has to be the ultimate one who sets the direction of the home, and in a marriage relationship, that one is supposed to be the husband. Not only is there just a practical need for order, but here's something this passage really calls wives to, to meet your husband's needs. Think about it. What is the greatest need of your husband? Do you know? I'm going to tell you this morning, you haven't heard it before. The greatest need of your husband is respect, wives. Men long at the core of their being to be respected. Men begin to show this need early in life and it never ends. They show this need as they compete on the playing field. They show this need as they seek to excel in the corporate world. They show this need as they seek to get praise for their musical abilities. They show the need as they seek praise for a successful hunt. They show the need as they invest in their muscle cars. They show the need in many ways, even at times to their harm and the harm of others, their sexual pursuits. And what this passage in part conveys to wives is your husband's need and desire respect. And so the place where he should at least receive that is in the home, all right? Because if we're all honest, we can recognize, do we not, that most of the time we don't get the respect we think we deserve, all right, or desire, right? Think, think about it. Often in the workplace, we don't get the promotion that we wanted, felt like was ours, we don't achieve the fame that we hope for. Or just in general, we don't get the thanks for a job well done. And so for men, there can become this constant pursuit of different things, looking for respect that they long for. And often it's never found. That's why it's so important for husbands to find this at home. 
And a wife who's seeking to the best interest of her husband, as we talked about earlier, will work hard to help her husband receive the respect that he longs for. And I know at times, ladies, husbands can be jerks and they can make it hard. I know that, right? But a wife who loves her husband will do her best to make sure her husband feels respected. That is why the basic action of a wife seeking to meet her husband's need is submitting to his leadership in the home. A husband will feel respected when a wife says, I trust you and I will do what you think is best. All right? Do you hear that, ladies? That was to you. But now, husbands, before you get all excited and say, that's right, that's right, submission is what a wife should do. All right? Let's look at what Scripture says to you. And just like the verses that were written to, written to wives, and it's not for them to listen to and obey, these verses are for husbands to listen to and obey. What does God's word say to husbands? Look at it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Look at this. Husbands, you are called to love your wives because what every woman is looking for is to be loved. Now, not necessary in a way that men have a tendency to hear that word, okay? But what they want, all right, is love, all right? That's what they want. And in that, there's a measure of security. There is this emotional connection among other things. But husbands must love their wives. And to help you understand the depth of this call and what it means to love your wives correctly, recognize the qualifier in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Think about that. You ready? guys, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You know what that means? It means you're willing to die for your wives. Really, here's what it means. It means more than even being willing to die. It really means you are willing right now to die to self in order to love your wife. You're willing to die to yourselves, all right? Quickly think about this, all right? When you think about the call to husbands and wife, which is harder to do, submit or die? Submit or die? Die, right? Y'all can talk. It's okay, all right? Die. That, that's a harder call, right? But, but that is what husbands are called to do. I also maintain that most wives would not have any problem submitting to a husband who is willing to die for her because she knows this. He has her best interest in mind and will encourage her to be all that God has called her to be. You see, too often I see men who want wives to submit, but who are not loving their wives as Christ loved the church. And that does not work, and it is not pleasing to God. Husbands, to do as Christ did means to put your wife first. It is to act in such a way that she is blessed, that she is lifted up. To give husbands more to consider, notice Paul went on to say that when you love correctly, your wife is sanctified. Also, if you skip down to verse 29, there is this qualifier that husbands who love their wives correctly will nourish and cherish. And I'm sure there's much that I could say to explain what that means, but I believe any husband who stops and considers what does it mean to nourish my wife and what does it mean to cherish my wife can figure it out. I mean, when something is nourished, it grows, it develops, it is lifted up. When something is cherished, it feels wanted, cared for, comforted. There is this emotional connection. These maybe are not terms that we might use often with husbands, but all husbands should be challenged to love your wives in this way. In fact, I love what Ray Ortland wrote about this when he said this. He said, a loving Christian husband cares so deeply about his wife 
that he makes sure that her life is moving in a desirable direction, even as Christ nourishes us all. Marriage to a Christ-like husband is for a woman the opposite of a dead-end life. A woman married to a nourishing man comes to the end of her days as an older lady, and as she's sitting on a porch somewhere in a rocking chair looking back on her life, she is praising God and thinking, being married to my husband opened up, my, opened my whole life up. Yep, yes, we suffered. Yes, we made mistakes. But in it all, my husband thought of me. He cared about how my life was going. What a great run we had living for Christ. Isn't that good? Isn't those good words? Those are good words. He goes on to say this, when a woman is married to a lovingly Christ-like man who cherishes her, she feels warmth in her heart at being valued by her husband and held dear above all others, second only to Christ himself. You see, men, for those of us who are married or plan to marry someday, if we do that, let's understand that this is a high calling from God. And let's take the challenge to love our wives as God demands. And I believe this, if we do this, Right? We would have much healthier marriages in our world. All right? Right? We, we would. I, I know this. When I told you earlier about my marriage when it wasn't Christ-centered. When I learned how to love Christ first, he taught me how to love my wife as he loved me. And that's when marriage got good. Because it didn't become about me anymore. It came first about Christ, and then it became about my wife. Things got so much better. All right? Now, before we move on, let me say quickly that... Wives and husbands should do what is indicated in these scriptures because, indeed, they are one in Christ's eyes. They are one flesh. Therefore, if you're going to truly care for yourself, you need to treat your spouse as indicated because that is even when you care for yourself the best. As you live in this way, you will find the ability to have a happy marriage. Therefore, let's heed the words of verse 33 that says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right. Now, one other thing that we're going to see before we close is this, that a happy marriage is a reflection of the gospel. Look at what Paul writes in verse 32. After saying the two are one flesh, he goes on to say this, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You see, Paul often refers to the gospel as a mystery. Because until Jesus came, the fullness of the gospel was a mystery. It was unknown. But when Jesus came, the mystery of God's salvation became known. And what Paul is clearly reminding us in this passage is that the relationship between a husband and a wife is meant to be a reflection of Jesus' relationship with the church. One commentator wrote this, Our Christian homes are to be pictures of Christ's relationship to his church. Each believer is a member of Christ's body. Each believer is to help nourish the body in love. We are one with Christ. The church is his body and his bride, and the Christian home is a divinely ordained illustration of this relationship. This certainly makes marriage a serious matter. Folks, marriage is a serious matter. And above all, what we should see in this is that we have looked at, what we've looked at here this morning in Ephesians is that clearly marriages should reflect Christ. Even when it comes to submission, I'm reminded this, that Jesus, the Son, submitted to God the Father. Did he not? Yeah, I'm reminded when we talk about there are two but one, how Christ wants to dwell in each of us, right? When I think about how husbands are to love their wives, I think about how Christ loved the church and is sanctifying us as believers. 
I also think about how within that relationship, the way we treat each other should be a reflection of Christ. Of there should be that sacrifice. There should be serving. There should be loving. There should be giving, forgiving. All the things when you look to Christ and say, there he is, all right, being patient, nurturing, and much more. When you look to Christ, all that he is, that should be reflected in our marriages. You see, God clearly is indicating here in this passage that our marriage should reflect the gospel. And as our marriages reflect the gospel, they become happy marriages. They become blessed marriage. But even more than that, here's what they are. They are a witness to a lost world. When we put these words in the context of the entire chapter, we can look back at verses 8 and 9 where Paul writes this. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Think about this. If we follow God's prescription for marriage, we will see the fruit of our lives individually, but more importantly, we will see the fruit of the gospel in the lives of others. Why? Because when the world sees a marriage that looks like the one here in Ephesians, it takes notice. When the world takes notice, it is an opportunity for us to say our marriage is a happy marriage because of what Christ has done in our life, and it becomes an opportunity for us to talk about Christ. You see, today, I, I, I can preach this because, again, in my life, it's so true. I, I, I don't look at this as just theory. I know how my life was, re- my, 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 my marriage was rescued by Jesus Christ. It's a testimony. I'll tell you how good God is. Let me tell you about my marriage. I'll tell you what he can do, how he can change things. I can tell you how he takes a marriage from being miserable to being great when he becomes the center. You hear what I'm saying? And that's a witness to the world. I can tell everyone that. Now, I know this. My prayer for those of us who are married today is that we would have happy marriages. And I'm going to say this to you. If your marriage is not happy, look at what Paul said and ask. What needs to change? All right, maybe there's a way that right now you are not honoring Christ in your life. And if you are not honoring Christ in your marriage, it will not be happy. If you're not honoring Christ, then today is a day to say, I will start honoring, honoring Christ in my marriage. I'll even say this, even if your spouse is not here or even if your spouse is not on board at this point, all right, do your part because you will, be, you will bless your spouse by, by doing what God has called you to do. And the hope would be eventually that by blessing, that blessing would return. If not, remember this, Jesus himself was spurned even though he loved perfectly, right? It doesn't mean I wait till my spouse does their part. No, no, no. I do my part now, and I pray for my spouse to return, all right? Does that make sense? You see, today, that's my prayer. If you have a blessed marriage, don't be ashamed to let the world know about it as well, because there's a world out there, again, that needs the hope of the gospel, and marriage should be one of those avenues to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let the world know that you love the way you love, because Jesus loved you that way first. See, today, my prayer would be for all of us as we gather in this place, single, married, whatever, that we would understand how the Lord wants us to live, that we walk wisely in His, all right? If you're a single, go back to last week. Walk wisely in what that, that, that said about you as a single, how you can use your life for the Lord. But today, if you're married or you're thinking about getting married, I pray you'll look at this scripture and say, hey, God has a plan. Let's follow it because you will never be happy until you're following God's plan. So here's where it brings us. It brings us to a time of invitation. It's time for us this morning to decide Am I going to do what God wants me to do? Maybe there's some this morning. You, you need to bring your marriage to the Lord. Maybe you need to come to the altar and you need to kneel and say, Lord, I, 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 I need you to work in my marriage. And maybe as you pray, you say, God, I understand where that starts with me. 
that I put you at the center of my life, that you would be the one that drives my life and, and I treat my spouse as I need to because honestly, Lord, I, I've, been, I, I've been wrong in my marriage. I've been making it about me. Why, why not come and get it right today? All right, if you get you right, then you can go talk to your spouse and say, let me tell you what I did today. I'm, I'm putting Christ at the center of my life and I want him to be the center of our marriage and maybe you can begin a conversation that allows you both to do that and who knows what could happen. God can do miracles, all right? Some of you may be on the brink today. Listen, God offers you hope. Maybe you're in a great marriage. Well, keep pressing. Maybe you want to bring him and say, Lord, protect my marriage. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Protect it today, God. I give it to you. Continue to make it strong. Or maybe you're here, you're single this morning. You say, I hope to be married someday. I want that. Go ahead and pray for a godly spouse. And right now, go ahead and put Christ at the center of your life. And you go ahead and prepare your life for what God might have for you in the future. Whatever your need is this morning, this altar is yours. Maybe, again, you're not even concerned about the marriage deal. But there's something going on in your life. Let me ask you, is Christ at the center? He's your hope today. Maybe for you, it's just putting Jesus at the center of your life as an individual, not being concerned about whether I'm single, not being concerned about whether I'm married. I I just need Christ at the center. This is an opportunity for you to give your life to Jesus. So we're going to have that invitation. If you're at home watching, I want you to know there's ways that you can respond. You can text, you can call, you email. We'd love to talk with you as well about God's plan for your life. But whatever your need is today as we move to this time of invitation, I pray that you'll put God at the center of your life and let him work, all right, in your life. And today, if you're married, work in your marriage. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we do come to this time of invitation, Lord, we just, above all, want to honor you in everything. And today, even as we've looked at marriage, God, my prayer would be that we would honor you in our marriages. And Father, we fully understand what it means to have a marriage that honors you. God, I know many times we've been off track in many things in life. One of those places, as I look in our society today, that we've been way off base with you is in our homes. We've not let you be at the center. And so, Father, today my prayer would be that we would get you at the center of our homes, of our lives. And, Father, we would see great things happen in our community, in our world, because husbands and wives decided to love you as they needed to and then loved each other in a way that pleases you. And so, Father, this morning, I don't know what needs to happen in lives again For some people, this this message on marriage maybe doesn't apply to them at all, but God, you're still speaking to them. You're still calling them to put you at the center. And so, Father, for them, I pray even they'll come today if that's what they need to do and get their life right. But, Father, today, this invitation to yours to move however you want. And so move in these moments, I pray. And as I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.